0: Our Western culture has taught us, go hard and go fast and do it with a lot of noise. And we don't recognize what we're missing out on by building incorporating silence and solitude into our lives. Really what it comes down to is, each and every day, finding space throughout my day to put Christ first. Hey, welcome to another episode of Relate, Refresh, and Restore, a podcast committed to bringing stories of hope and insight to those on the front lines of Christian ministry. Our desire is for all of us to see, sense, and experience God's voice through their stories. And through these stories, we may see His hand and hear His voice in our lives. The Relate, Refresh, and Restore podcast is brought to you by Romans 12 Ministries, where we are wildly committed to transforming the church, one pastor, missionary, and ministry leader at a time.
1: Last year, I had a chance to travel to California to spend about four days with a group of pastors at a monastery for a silence and solitude retreat led by David Hillis to listen with new ears and and really set my gaze on the beauty that is all around me. The first two days, though, I got to tell you, were challenging. Uh, We ate in silence, which to me was just different and weird and strange. Then we went off to think and we were unplugged and Although we participate in prayers throughout the day, we learn more and more about the early desert fathers and mothers. And by the last few days, I got to tell you, my senses were more aware of the Lord's presence, His nudging, uh, the glory of creation, and a settling that was in my soul after those four days. And so I'm so excited for you to listen to David Hillis's heart behind these kinds of rhythms. That he says saved his life. My name is David Town, the host of the Relate, Refresh, and Restore podcast. Well, David Hillis, welcome. Thanks for coming in.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: You know, we just spent four days together. We did. And I'm sorry, not many people can handle four days of me in a row, <laughs> but you did, and you seemed actually to like me.
0: Yeah, you're a great guy. <laughs> I enjoyed it.
1: But uh, I wanted to bring you in and just for our listeners to kind of get a taste of kind of what we experienced, and, and mm. your story really, really um, touched me, and uh, the things that you brought and facilitated at our Silence and Solitude retreat in California really impacted me and i Mm. think our listeners will also be impacted because we are going really fast right now most of us Mm. and we are in that fifth gear as you talk about overdrive spinning really fast and so um i think this will be really neat and timely for a lot of people so i want to start with just this idea of a little bit of your story and you were a charger Oh, yes. Yes, you were a charger. (laughs) I was building a church. And so I want to hear kind of that story before we talk about some of the specifics of what it means to be silent and in solitude and how that's kind of a foreign language for us right now.
0: Yeah. So I started in ministry in my 20s as a pastor when I moved to Arizona. And from the very beginning, I was a driven pastor. I had the ideas of what success looked like and I pushed hard and I pushed my family, unfortunately, hard in that time period to try to do what I thought was trying to follow closely God's will. Didn't talk a lot with God about that. I just assumed what God wanted for me and then pressed hard to get there. When the church was growing, I felt like I was doing what God wanted. And when the church was struggling or when the church was losing people, I took that very personally and I internalized that and thought that there was something wrong with me. And so there was this internal mechanism in me that was constantly driving me and pushing me, saying, you're not doing enough. You need to do more. You need to do more. And it got to a point for me in 2018 when I was very, very close to burnout, very close. And by the grace of God, I had a sabbatical that my church was providing me at that time. After seven years of being the lead pastor of this particular church here in Tucson, they gave me the blessing to be able to step away for three months I was able to receive a sabbatical grant to be able to go off and really get some use out of that time and not just sit at home and twiddle my thumbs. And through that, through that sabbatical, God taught me so much about my way of living that was unhealthy and dysfunctional that I am so grateful for to this day. The very first thing I did on that sabbatical as a result of this grant that I put together was to go to stay at a monastery for the first time in my life for a week Had never been to one, didn't even know what they did there, but I'm like, sure. And when this monastery invited me to come and be a monk for a week, I'm like, yeah, sounds good to me. They're like, well, you can kind of enter into it as much or as little as you want to. I'm like, I'm all in. If I'm doing this, I'm doing it all in. And so I kind of approached it with that mentality of I want all of it. You know, I'm going to learn as much as I can learn and I want to move forward and had no idea what God was setting me up for that particular week, but it was jarring. The retreat. I talked about this. I talked about this a lot. For me, I'm I'm a Jeep lover. I have a Wrangler and I love it. And I'm also I'm also a purist. If you're driving a Jeep and you you have an automatic, that's cheating. You've got to have a stick shift. And so, but for, nobody
1: can drive a stick shift right now. W-
0: but they need to. They need to.
1: <laughs> like my dad said, you need to learn how to drive a stick shift. That's right. right.
0: Uh, that's right. So for me, the analogy I use with my life is. For many years, my stick shift was stuck in fifth gear. And it had been there for so long, I didn't even realize that that was an issue. That was normal for me. And when I arrived at this monastery, and they are praying throughout the day and practicing silence and solitude, and the cell phone reception doesn't work out there because they're in this middle of this remote desert canyon, I went stir crazy. It was like for me, after going in fifth gear, These guys just pulled the emergency brake on me. And for the first day or two, I was just jarred, struggling hard, wondering what was wrong with me, why I even felt this way, why I was struggling. But then after a while, I naturally started downshifting. And I realized as I was praying and seeking God that I was able to hear God more clearly than I had in years And I remember going to one of the brothers at that monastery and thinking something was weird was going on. And why was this happening to me? Why could I all of a sudden hear God more clearly? And this old man looked at me and he laughed and he said, son, you finally now learn how to go at God's speed. He had pegged me from the get-go. As I walked into that monastery, he saw the type. He knew exactly what, and, and he had already figured it out. And he was dead right. And he showed me, he said, he explained to me that day, he said, you know, It's not that God hasn't been speaking. He says, you've just been going too fast to listen. He says, now you're going at God's speed, and you're going to hear a lot more of God's voice in your life. He said, son, God never stopped talking to you. You just weren't listening. That was an eye-opening experience.
1: But part of that is you were born with a personality of, of going and achieving Mm-hmm. or was that a learned behavior? Was that something you were trying to please your parents, or uh, was it achievement-driven, or was that just part of your personality? Because mm-hmm. that's hard. I hear a lot of people, that's just, that's just how I am.
0: Absolutely. That was a, a big part of who I was. I am the kind of a person that if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it well, or I'm not going to do it at all. That's always been my MO. But I also I came to learn through this time of introspection that started in 2018, I really started to learn some things about myself. And one of those was that there were some messages as a kid that I had learned that weren't necessarily intentional, but I had learned that the message I was hearing from even from childhood was, I'm not good enough, I need to try harder. And that drove me for many years, and I was too naive to even notice it. I wasn't aware enough of my own life to, to notice that was happening.
1: So th- those were years of you in that, that was your message. I'm not good enough, so I'm gonna prove that I am good enough. I'm gonna work hard, I'm gonna get the good grades, I'm gonna get the good job, I'm gonna build this church. That mm-hmm. was years of those kind of pathways in your brain over and over. That's hard to Absol- change.
0: Oh, yes. It, but there God was, showed up. He sure did. I mean, when you get right down to it, what I didn't wanna admit at the time, but I was afraid of failure. And that fear of failure drove me and constantly said, you need to try harder, you need to do better, or you're going to fail. And I, th- I, I wasn't going to have that. Mm-hmm. So it, I pulled myself down, and I was pulling my family down with it. So you come
1: back from this, this experience at a monastery, and mm-hmm. how did things change?
0: Well, it started that week at the monastery, but then I had the rest of that summer where I was in the Holy Land and in Europe and part of the grant was that I was going to spend some time studying the lives of three people who were very very influential in church history from many, many centuries back. Um, one was a guy named Benedict of Nursia, who was a part of the Christian church in the, in the 500s AD. St. Francis of Assisi, many people have heard of him. He lived in the 11-1200s. And then a guy named Ignatius of Loyola, who lived about 500 years ago. And just looking at these guys and their lives and recognizing how they were different— Than pastors are typically living today and seeing what I could learn from that. And realizing as I spent that summer with the Lord, what I realized more than anything else, David, was this, that ministry was my mistress. And what I learned was that I no longer could allow ministry to be the center of my life. Jesus had to be. Now, Probably the politically correct thing to say was no. I should put my family first and not ministry, but that's really not it either. Because you can put your family first and you can still be off. What I learned was I was doing ministry and I was doing my, the best I could as a dad and as a husband, but I was fitting Jesus in with whatever time I had left over. I, to be honest, just to be real, as a lead pastor, a lot of my devotional time was spent uh, also as sermon prep. And I think there's a lot of pastors out there listening who have, if they were honest, they'd admit that was true. It's like, well, I, it's working. I, I can, I, I'm benefiting from this. What I was missing, to be honest with myself, was I wasn't having that quality time with Jesus where I allowed him to speak into my heart, into my life. Basically, I was on the run, and I was asking God to catch up with me. And God wasn't playing that game with me. He loved me, and he constantly pursued me. But as I continued to run, he let me run. Until he was able to sh- get through to my head, this pace is not sustainable. You got to stop.
1: So the breaking point there, I, I think we all can relate to that. We've talked about it a little before we came came on the air. Is, is that we we know that number one priority is relationship with God, mm-hmm. and what that looks like. But most of us substitute that with relationship for God and what we do for God. Yes, and that's a big difference. And pastors and leaders fall into that trap. And you're right, the mistress then becomes the top priority in front of family, in front of spouse, in front of children. And we see the damage of that all around, and that's why I think there's so much burnout. But what
0: was the, really the tipping point, the breaking point for you after this experience? I think the tipping point was uh, me coming back from that experience and realizing, I need to change. God was really able to use that summer to help me to see that the pace of life I was living was not honoring God, and it wasn't really being all that helpful to the people I was called to love and to serve. And I realized until I learned how to put Christ in the center of my life and not ministry, not just in words but in action, that I was never going to be the person God created me to be. I was going to continue to live out of this false self that was driven for one more achievement, one more advancement.
1: The false self versus the true self.
0: Yeah. The person, that the child of God that God created and God delights in without all that extra stuff added on.
1: Mm. Was there pushback from people, board, family?
0: No. Thankfully, my church and my board recognized in me that I was working too hard and trying too hard as well. They just didn't know how to come alongside me and love me and to support me in that the way I needed but as I started making those changes, through that circumstance and some other circumstances, it eventually led within a year, year and a half to me needing to take a step away from from ministry entirely. And honestly, I thought as in the result of all the stuff that was going on in my life through this and through some other things that God wasn't calling me to ministry. And I actually went into chaplaincy for a season and thinking that that was what God had for me. And then through my relationship with the Lord, quickly starting to realize, no, that's not who God wired me to be. God's always wired me to be a pastor. But I could make some shifts in how I was doing ministry and be far more effective than ever I was before.
1: Well, it's my time to interrupt you. I hate to interrupt David Hillis' story and him sharing about silence and solitude and those new rhythms that I think we can all maybe actually... Integrate into our, our new year. But I wanted to just, first of all, thank you so much for being part of Romans 12 Ministries. You even listening to this podcast is a blessing and an encouragement to us. And we would just encourage you to pass it on, share the podcast. It really is a podcast of stories of hope. We would love to have you just look into our ministry if you can. We've been around a little over three years now, and uh, we are a nonprofit organization that really is passionate to come alongside pastors, missionaries, ministry leaders, and their families to refresh, restore, and relate to them. And they are, yeah, they need that. And so if you can just look at our rep- website, which is Romans12ministries.org, Romans 12 ministriesorg romans one two. Ministries.org. Uh, check out our website. Check out our not only our podcast, but the different resources that we offer and the different things we do to come alongside these dear ministry leaders and their families. And if you feel led to donate, uh, again, we are a nonprofit, so we really value that and we appreciate that. And that keeps us going with the resources that we're able to to serve these pastors. So, anyway, Let's get back to David Hillis as he continues to share his story of silence and solitude and those spiritual disciplines that really <laughs> we've lost over the years. So I know we have listeners that are saying, oh, that sounds really good for you, but you don't know my world. My mm-hmm. world is absolutely crazy. I'm, getting, I'm doing so many different things. So that's good for you. So let's, kinda, let's switch it to the practical. Mm-hmm. What does this truly look like for you? Because you got a, a demanding job, you're mm-hmm. married, you're mm-hmm. a daddy, I mean, you life is continually, and you are, there, there's a business to you. So how does this look like in, in an everyday life?
0: Well, you know, uh, I, don't, I can't remember if it was John or Charles Stanley centuries ago who said, I have so much to do in my day, I have to spend three hours a day in prayer. <laughs> and I remember hearing that years and years ago and laughing at that and thinking, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Now, I honestly think there's some truth to it. Now, I won't tell you that I'm spending three hours a day in prayer, but I'm spending a lot more time with my Savior than I ever did before. And what I'm realizing is the more I put him as a priority, not only with my time, but with my heart, all the things that used to be a struggle for me with my time seems to get far easier. It gets easier, number one, because the Lord is able to show me what to say yes to and what to say no to. And I'm not as tempted to say yes to so many things or to think that I'm the one who has to be involved in quite as many things. I have a more realistic view of myself than I did before. But I just, I truly believe that as I have put God first more and more in my life and I'm listening to his voice, God has taken care of things for me and moving mountains in my life that I couldn't possibly have imagined he could do before. And I owe that all to the Lord. But really what it comes down to is each and every day, finding space throughout my day to put Christ first. And before, as a lead pastor, I was trying to get in a few minutes before I ran off to work. And if I wasn't too tired and fell asleep in my chair, maybe I had a few minutes that I was praying before I fell asleep. And the rest was ministry. And what I learned from those days in the monastery was that they, it's fascinating to me, they practice this thing called fixed hour prayer, where every three hours they stop, no matter how busy they are, their idea is... There's nothing so important that I'm doing for God that I can't stop and be with God. And so they had this rhythm where about every three hours, no matter how important their stuff is, they set it down and they go take a few minutes to pray and be with Jesus. And I, when I came back from the monastery in 2018, I realized that that was a big part of helping me to downshift and have a more healthy, sustainable spiritual rhythm with Christ in the center. So I recognized that even after a week. And I just had to figure out how to contextualize that to my setting as a pastor. And I did that. And even to this day, I have moments throughout my day where I step away and I'm with the Lord and I am truly expressing my love and gratitude to Him and worshiping Him and spending time in His Word and listening far more than I ever listened before. And my life is far more Christ-centered than it ever was before. Mm. And I'm reaping the benefits of that.
1: Yeah. It just seems like we are surrounded by noise. Mm-hmm. You know, even our quiet time, we have the Bible open, we have the the stereo going, we got our favorite praise music going. I mean, there's just always noise. And the one thing that I took away from our time together in the monastery was how quiet it was. How mm-hmm. things were slow. How I walked slower. And so, I mean, we even ate in silence, you know, yeah, we for did. breakfast, and that was so awkward. Here we are together at the table, and we're eating, and nobody's talking. Mm-hmm. But you know what? By like the third, fourth day, I was looking forward to breakfast more than ever. I wasn't. It wasn't as uncomfortable. It was a mm-hmm. chance for me quietly to thank God just for the little things.
0: Yeah, it's a learned pattern of behavior. Our culture, our Western culture has taught us go hard and go fast and do it with a lot of noise. And we don't recognize what we're missing out on by building, incorporating silence and solitude into our lives. One of my roles in ministry right now is I I oversee missions for a large church here in town. And one of the things I love doing is taking people to serve on mission trips and helping expose them to another culture. One of the places where I bring people regularly is to the Navajo Nation. And one of the things I love about Navajo culture is they get this silence and solitude thing. It isn't scary to them. There are times that I have sat outside with some of my Navajo brothers and sisters for a few hours at the time, and we didn't say a word, and it wasn't even awkward. It was awkward for me the first time or two because I'm like, well, shouldn't you be talking right now? And I try to get, start conversation, and they just look at me and respond to me and then go back to silence. And I realized... I like this. This is actually good for me. I don't need to fill every minute with noise, with talking. And so it's been a real nice addition to my life.
1: What about somebody that says, well, I'm an extrovert. I need people. I actually need noise. It energizes me. What would you say to them?
0: I would say we are all on the scale of between a real strong extrovert and a real strong introvert. But for each one of us, we need the benefits of the other. As I am a little bit more on the introvert side than an extrovert. Some people meet me and think I'm an extrovert, but I am definitely an introvert. And I know that part of what grows me spiritually is being in settings where I'm stretching myself a little bit. Because, I, because for us introverts, we grow through community and listening to other people share their life experiences. And for extroverts, it's the same thing. That being in a crowd is your sweet spot. It's the place you might feel most comfortable, but it's hard to be still and hear the voice of God in those moments. Mm-hmm. And unless we're intentionally pushing ourselves in that direction, we'll never reap the benefits of it. Mm-hmm. So there's a balance.
1: Mm-hmm. So the reality is, we can't be in first gear all the time. That's right. So how do we how do we balance that?
0: For me, what I've learned is that I need to kind of live in third gear, where there are seasons of my life where ministry is going to demand that I have to upshift a gear or two, and that's okay, but I know now not to stay there. Just uh, last month, I went through a season where I, I was pushing a little bit too hard, and five years ago, four or five years ago, I wouldn't have noticed it. I wouldn't have blinked an eye. I would have said, this is normal. But last month doing that, after staying in fifth gear for about a month, I realized I've got a downshift, and I'm doing that, and I'm getting back to that more normal pace. But if we stay in third gear, then we can upshift when we need to, but then we, it's also easier to downshift and slow down and hear the voice of God in our lives on a more regular, consistent basis.
1: Mm-hmm. So we have listeners. Are getting, this sounds really good. So I want, I want to start that. I want to start something tomorrow. What are some suggestions that you give to them?
0: Well, I would suggest having a conversation with the Lord on, God, What is it? what does my life look like? What brings you delight and joy? And what parts of my life are out of balance? And being honest with yourself. For me, I would have had a hard time four or five years being honest with myself. I might have said I was a little bit too busy, but I wasn't really willing to sit down with the Lord and and listen. And I would just encourage people to just... Carve out that time with God. Maybe it's taking a weekend and getting away just you and God and spending that time in silence, in solitude, and just listening. And I'll tell you, it's going to be uncomfortable. Every time I have done these retreats, people have struggled for the first 24 to 36 hours. And it's because we're so used to living in that high gear that downshifting is painful. But there's such benefit in it when we do. There's such benefit in it. I think that's a great place to start. Just carving out that space and saying, Lord, ministry is not so important that I should stay on this pace. I need to prioritize you and my time with you. And not just checking off the box and saying, I've read this or this book or I've gone through this podcast, but I've spent time with you. Time to share with you my heart, what's going on in my life, really, and listening to what you have to say about it. I think also one of the things that can be of tremendous benefit is finding a, finding a soul friend, a companion, who knows us well, who doesn't have an agenda in our lives, and can speak honestly into how we're doing. For many pastors, I know they look for a spiritual director, someone who can provide that once a month for an hour, and it has been tremendously rich for them. I know for you in Romans 12, you provide kind of a, a mentoring or a coaching thing just like that. But having that soul friend who knows you, you don't hide anything from, you're not presenting your best self, you're being you, warts and all. I think that's tremendously beneficial in getting to that space.
1: Yeah. No. You know, it's it's my journey has been, and and we've had a number of podcasts similar to this. And, you know, I was in that fifth gear. I was going fast. I was spinning so I've just done some just practical things. I don't have seven o'clock meetings anymore. Mm. I, I have moved them. That morning time is is precious for me. Uh, I have um, notifications on my phone where I just really want to stop and and just pray. Nighttime looks a little bit different, where the phone is put away. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's put in that my little my little drawer upstairs. And I think people are starting to know that, that I'm not just going to get back to them. I mean, those simple things have really made a big difference you know, for me. Yeah. But it has been a process, and it hasn't been easy. And I'm becoming more, more comfortable being silent, being mm-hmm. quiet. My wife has said that. I think she enjoys it. <laughs> 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 but uh, I would encourage all, all of you listeners to just make some baby steps and just see if you can hear the voice of the Lord a little bit different. But David, I'm so thankful for you and your ministry and your heart and that you're pouring into so many people and um, and your story too. God is good, and uh, I see Him in you, and I praise God for that. And So if people want to get a hold of you, how would they do that?
0: I am serving as missions and evangelism pastor at Old Valley Church of the Nazarene. So, you can just reach out to me. My email address is david at ovcn.church for Oral Valley Church of the Nazarene. I'd be happy to speak with you, connect with you, maybe find some time to sit down and talk about what's going on in your life. All right.
1: Well, thanks for your time. Thanks for coming in.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today at another episode of Relate, Refresh, and Restore, a podcast sponsored by Romans 12 Ministries. For more information on Romans 12 Ministries, visit us at Romans12ministries.org or give us a call at 520-982-5877. May we all continue to be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer.